Welcome to the Penguin Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Penguin Podcast. With the Diamond Jubilee right around the corner, everyone here at Penguin is feeling very proud to be British. Last month, we launched the Penguin English Library, which contains 100 of the best novels in the English language. Today, we have an interview with Simon Winder, the editor of the series, in which he tells us more about it. We're also going to be running a little competition for three lucky listeners to win five books from the Penguin English Library, so listen out for it at the end of this podcast. We've also got a quintessentially British recipe from Linda Collister's The Great British Book of Baking for you to bake for your family and friends at home and help spread the British pride. But to start... Here's Simon Winder introducing us to the Penguin English Library. Hello and welcome to the Penguin Podcast. My name is Danny Horn and I work in audiobooks here at Penguin. And I'm Simon Winder and I'm the Publishing Director at Penguin Press. And today we're here to talk about Penguin English Library. So first off, Simon, could you give us a quick introduction? Yeah, this is a series which um, I thought it'd be fun to revive which was one of the Great Penguin series, which ran from, like I suppose, the early 60s to the mid-80s, um, before it got folded up into Penguin Classics. And it's uh, all the key English-language texts, uh, fiction in, in English, uh, from uh, Robinson Crusoe in the early 18th century to just before the First World War. Um, and it's a series of 100 books. Um, and the idea is, if you read all 100 of those, you will be very smart. <laughs> Excellent. So would you say that was your reasoning behind compiling this collection? Well, I suppose I like the idea. I did a series for Penguin a while ago called Great Ideas, which um, took things which we already published and sort of isolated them from their more, I suppose, academic context. And so you just got to read the texts. Uh, and that worked really well. And we found ourselves uh, accidentally radicalising a whole generation of students who wouldn't, uh, who would have otherwise viewed these books maybe as set texts, and so I thought it'd be fun to do the same with fiction. You know, there's, there are so many things people are kind of forced to do at gunpoint for GCSE or A levels, and they kind of think never again. And uh, obviously, what's amazing about these books is that for, in some cases, for two hundred years, people have been reading them and being astonished by them. And I thought it'd be good to get back to a kind of version which would have been recognised by the original readers. And which, play, which is their claim to fame. You know, they're all incredibly successful when they came out. I, I love the idea of like turning to the first page and plunging straight into a story. And who would you say the series was aimed at? I guess I've, I, I guess I think about like my. I can oddly remember buying my Penguin English Library edition of say Moby Dick when I was at uni, and and not having read it, of course, and picking it up and thinking, oh, that looks a good idea, and being astounded by it when I started reading it. And I love, I feel really envious, like I'm such a jaded old publishing kind of character, and I've read all these things ages ago, and I love the idea of doing a series aimed specifically at people who just haven't yet, doesn't matter what age they are, they haven't yet read Wuthering Heights, or they haven't read Villette or Jane Eyre. You know, and they are just astonishing books, and I thought it would be nice to give a sense in these books, in the way they're packaged, in the way they're presented, of them as just being living reading experiences. You know, the same impulse that makes you go to, you know, Tate Britain or Tate Modern is the same impulse that makes you go and read one of these extraordinary books. Um, and this is as close as we can get, I hope, to convincing people of that. You know, that if you haven't read Frankenstein, 
you haven't lived. You know, it's 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 one of the things you do to be a you know, English speaking human being. And they really are such beautiful books. Well, I think a lot of the credit for them. I mean, it was fun choosing them. That's easy because the authors are uh, aren't with us, and you can pick anything you like. Um, but I think the real tribute is uh, the design uh, by Coralie Bickford Smith, which is um, extremely unusual and. I think the idea was to get as far away as possible from the normal way of presenting these books and to come up with a, just a different atmosphere, um, which they do. And there's fun extras. Like um, we've uh, picture researched great pictures of all the authors on the inside flaps, which um, almost every case we try to use a picture which people won't recognize. They won't have seen it before in some way. So the authors come up looking very odd indeed, which is fun. I think that's a really nice touch, actually. And... Um I think the covers are so beautiful. I think they've kind of led to some really interesting partnerships that have been brought out about this collection. Yeah, I mean, we've been working with people like uh, Whistles, for example, um, who've done a sensational display in their flagship store. Um, and there's all kinds of other things that are going on, which was kind of halfway through doing at the moment. And I think they, they lend themselves, the designs lend themselves to all kinds of contexts. We've been thinking about how you could design clothes or notebooks or wallpaper all kinds of things around them which is kind of you know a fun extra but what we're really trying to do is just drive people to to doing the books and uh, we've published I think 20 so far and we're going to do 10 a month until the end of the year when all 100 will be done and I like the way that 100 is obviously quite a lot but equally if you were to sit down over the course of I don't know say three years and read them you, you they're all drastically different but you you would then know the story of the novel in English, which is kind of fun. I think it's just a private project. You know, you, and, and we've got a helpful list of them all in order of publication. And the the website and the Facebook material and all the rest of it is packed with ways in which you can look at these books which aren't, in effect, the way that you're forced to do look at them if you're doing them for GCSE or whatever. Like my poor old daughter's been reading Northanger Abbey and she just hates it like poison. And I was kind of thinking, well, is that partly our fault? You know, is the fact we've got all these notes and introduction and all the rest of it, it's just, it makes it, in some, to some readers, appear just really daunting. And um, the idea of getting, of getting rid of all that, I think, is, is just a different way of looking at it. It's really interesting because it's really, I think, brought it back to the book, hasn't it? And um, I know a lot of people are kind of discussing this online. It's got quite a big online presence. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the, the video that you did for it? Oh yeah, there's all kinds of there's a fabulous uh, vid uh, sort of animation that's been done, which I think is really pretty and is really worth looking at. Um, and I think the the point is, I, I guess I like the idea that Penguin has this kind of responsibility to the public since the 1930s. To I mean, for for, for example, the original Penguin English Library was the way in which people, uh, you know, f over a couple of generations how they first discovered Middlemarch, whatever. Like our edition of Middlemarch with a little with a girl on the front in a uh, shawl going over, crossing over a stile was, for, for many people, was Middlemarch. You know, and I think to get back to some of that atmosphere of the sort of rite of passage that these books represent, the way that in later life you can remember where you were when you first read Oliver Twist or whatever, I think that is kind of really fun. Um, I mean, the series is a little bit self-indulgent. We've probably... I really love like gothic novels, um, and so there's probably a bit too much of that in there. <laughs> it gets slightly overdone. So we got Melmoth the Wanderer and the Monk, and all these sort of books of you know nuns being walled up and stuff, which is kind of you know it's great, but it's kind of silly. Uh, 
And I suppose one of the reasons for putting them in is that they are just really fun to read. Um, and so, again, this isn't a series, in effect, of classics. You know, like we're trying not to think of them as classics. You know, some of them are sort of terrible. Um, but they are really incredibly gripping and interesting to read. Um, so, again, it's a kind of different selection. You know, it's not, I w wouldn't say these are easy books to read necessarily, but they're, they're worth your time. And I guess that brings us around to our final question, which is uh, if you could have a favourite, what would your favourite of the whole collection be? Oh, Lord, that's really difficult. <laughs> Such a tough one, isn't it? That's really difficult, actually. I mean, I have to say I love Dickens. And so I would probably have to choose probably The Old Curiosity Shop because it's just a marvellous book with uh, the villain Quilp, this hideous figure um, who chases after the rather boring heroine, Little Nell, um, it's just one of the great inventions in all literature. And I think it's just a gripping, it's as gripping, you know, it was one of Dickens's great popular successes with people just waiting agog for the next episode. And one fun thing to do with that book, for example, might be to, to read it in episodes. You could only read, you know, a chunk, you know, every week. And then you'd have to wait until the following Monday before you read some more to find out what happens next. Okay, well, thanks so much, Simon, for coming in. That was great. Um, if you want to find out more about the Penguin English Library series, you can go to penguinenglishlibrary.com. That was Simon Winder introducing the Penguin English Library. And don't forget to listen out for our exclusive competition at the end of the podcast. Now, we have a recipe from Linda Collister's cookery book, The Great British Book of Baking. Warm, floury scones, split in half and spread with a good raspberry or strawberry jam and thick clotted cream are at the centre of a traditional West Country cream tea. Buttermilk, the slightly tart liquid whey left after milk is churned to make butter, adds extra lift and flavour. There's much discussion over which way round to layer the cream and the jam. Traditionally, a Devon cream tea sees the jam spread on top of the cream, whereas a Cornish scone is spread with butter, then jam, and finally topped with the cream. For this recipe, you will need... 250 grams of self-raising flour, a good pinch of salt, 50 grams of castor sugar, 50 grams of unsalted butter, chilled and diced, one medium free-range egg, about 100 millilitres of buttermilk or milk, a six centimetre round cutter, a baking tray greased with butter. Preheat the oven to 220 degrees centigrade 425 degrees Fahrenheit or gas mark 7. To make the dough in a food processor, put the flour, salt and sugar into the bowl and pulse briefly to just combine. Add the butter to the bowl and process until the mixture looks like fine crumbs. Beat the egg with 100 millilitres of buttermilk or milk. With the machine running, pour the egg mixture into the processor, stopping the machine as soon as the mixture comes together to make a ball of slightly soft dough. If there are dry crumbs, add a little extra milk. To make the dough by hand, sift the flour, salt and sugar into a mixing bowl. Add the butter and rub into the flour using the tips of your fingers. For a light texture, Raise your hands just above the rim of the bowl so that the mixture falls back through your fingers. When the mixture looks like fine crumbs, 
Beat the egg with 100 millilitres of buttermilk or milk and stir in using a round bladed knife. Use your hands to bring the mixture together to make a ball of slightly soft dough. If there are any crumbs in the bottom of the bowl, work in a little more liquid. Turn the dough out onto a lightly floured work surface and knead gently for a couple of seconds just to bring it together. Flour your hands, then pat out the dough about 3cm thick and stamp out rounds with a cutter. Press the trimmings together, pat out and cut more rounds. Set the rounds slightly apart on the prepared baking tray and bake in the preheated oven for 10 to 12 minutes until a good golden brown. Transfer to a wire rack and leave to cool slightly. The scones are best eaten while still warm, though any leftover are good split, toasted and spread with butter. That was a recipe from Linda Collister's cookery book, The Great British Book of Baking. Finally, we have our mini competition. We're going to play three short clips featuring famous first lines from three books in the Penguin English Library series. Simply guess which three books these lines are from and leave a comment on the Penguin Podcast page at thepenguinpodcast.co.uk. All correct entries will be entered into the prize draw and the first three names selected after the closing date will be the winners. The competition closes at midnight on the 25th of May 2012 and the winners will be selected and notified by Monday the 28th of May 2012. Full terms and conditions are on the Penguin Podcast page, thepenguinpodcast.co.uk. My father had a small estate in Nottinghamshire. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. They were all at Charing Cross to see Lilia off. And that's it from the Great British Penguin podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about the authors and books featured in this episode, please visit the website at penguinpodcast.co.uk. And if you have any comments or suggestions, we'd really like to hear them. You can email us at podcast at uk.penguingroup.com or if you'd rather tweet us, we're at Penguin Podcast, hashtag TPPGB. You've been listening to the Penguin Podcast.